This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I don't know about you, but uh, for me, it feels like every day is a soap opera around the league, around the NHL. Every day is uh, less and less about the games and more and more about the stories. Certainly felt that way for the past little while here. And uh, the saga of Corey Perry and the Chicago Blackhawks continues. Saw Kyle Davidson's press conference, emotional press conference yesterday. Corey Perry on waivers for the purposes of a buyout, unconditional waivers, contract terminated. That uh, should happen uh, later on today. Uh, We will talk about the Corey Perry situation and the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, coming up in a little bit here. Also, uh, trade last night in the NHL, the Vancouver Canucks sending Anthony Bavillier to the Chicago Blackhawks. A fifth-round draft pick goes the other way. Look, whether it's uh, the Corey Perry situation, whether it's a Taylor Hall injury, we all know Chicago needs bodies. Uh, they're going to need some players here, and that satisfies their need for players in the lineup and for the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks uh, what some One thing that Jim Rutherford has talked about from pretty much day one from coming over from the Pittsburgh Penguins is the need for flexibility and cap space. And now that team is getting it, and now eyes are on defensemen around the NHL. Uh, so we'll get into that. Um, there's also a situation. Um, good Lord. There's also another situation in Columbus. Another situation in Columbus with the Blue Jackets um, with another player perhaps wanting out. So Shimi Babayev is is an agent, uh, NHL agent. He represents uh, Yakov Trenin, Igor Zamula, uh, and the aforementioned uh, Igor uh, Igor Chenichkov. Quote, this is what Babayev says um, to Brian Hedger of the Columbus Dispatch. He doesn't feel they trust him and he wants to leave. They don't understand how bad Chinny feels. Uh, Chinnikov, on the idea of going back to Russia, he says, quote, sometimes I've thought about it, but also says, but I want to play here and that's it. Okay, another day, another soap opera story. Staying, going, happy here, not happy here. Uh, Want to get into the Devin Levi situation as well with the with the uh, Buffalo Sabers sent down to Rochester, so he goes essentially from man from one three goaltender situation to another three goaltender situation. So there was a three goaltender situation in Buffalo. There's also a three goaltender situation when you factor in Dustin Tokarski and Devin Cooley. He's now in a three goalie situation with Rochester as well. I'm sure that will get straightened out perhaps a lot quicker than it did with the Buffalo Sabres and expect Devin Levi to play a lot of minutes and a lot of games. I don't think there's going to be a timetable, a specific timetable for Devin Levi to return to the Buffalo Sabres. Could be short, could be long, could be a couple of weeks, could be the rest of the season. Uh, we don't know, but looks like Uka Pekalukkanen has very much grabbed the net there. Uh, coming off of last night, one of the big stories, Connor McDavid, uh, he now has 15 points in his last five games. Holy smokes. Oilers win in a shootout 5-4 over the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Three points for Connor McDavid, who is now in the top 10 in scoring. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Are the Oilers back? He can make the argument that was their first real big test. Beating Washington is one thing. Beating Anaheim is another thing as well. But beating the Vegas Golden Knights, even though we know that they've hit a little bit of a speed wobble here, is quite another. That was impressive last night by the Oilers. Uh, Haley Salvian joins me. Elliot Friedman still in transit. He'll be uh, rejoining the program tomorrow. So Haley's in the bestie spot once again. How are you doing today, Haley? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, good. I was making the point off the top of the show that uh, it feels like covering this league now, 
uh, feels like covering a soap opera. I'm not sure that I'm really doing sports here as much as I'm covering an ongoing saga uh, in the NHL where every day there is a different story. How do you feel about it these days? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the meme. No soap operas, just hockey. But we all know that's not true. There's always something going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, today is the day where Corey Perry will uh, clear waivers, unconditional waivers for contract termination. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, after Kyle Davidson mentioned the uh, internal investigation, uh, how they have uh, placed him on waivers, he will no longer be a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, this one took a lot of turns, and the story is really not over yet. There was a really gross turn with the Bedard family that I really don't want to even give any oxygen or life to, so I'm just going to park that one. Um, don't want really anything to do with that conversation, which is quite frankly gross. Uh, and then there is this Corey Perry um, situation, of course, where he'll be uh, dismissed from the Chicago Blackhawks officially. Uh, the Hawks, you know, bringing in Anthony Bavillier from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, listen, we know that they wanted to sur- surround Connor Bedard with as many veteran players as possible. Um, intern Nick Felino, for example, Taylor Hall as well, who's now injured uh, in the aforementioned Corey Perry. Um, just from a hockey point of view here, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, like what's going through your mind? You're Luke Richardson, you're uh, Kyle Davidson, whomever. What are you thinking right now about your team? I mean, how can we uh make sure that we keep this kid happy i don't know i feel like is that not the first priority like when you heard all this stuff to you it's not are you not thinking like they got to make sure that bedard is okay and he's going to be fine and happy here um you know i think all those rumors as you said they're gross um it's not great but yeah you want to insulate the kid with like good veteran leadership obviously they need to add some more pieces with the injury to taylor hall like you said to to keep themselves, you know, we all know that the Chicago Blackhawks weren't going to be fighting for the playoffs, but you at least want to keep the team competitive because it's not good for anyone's development to just be playing listless hockey. Um, you know, cause that was one of the things I thought the Blackhawks um, hockey-wise did well in this offseason is, you know, they get Connor Bedard and then they actually get NHL players to play on the team with him. So he's not just playing in a bare-bones operation. So we probably got to find ways to, yeah. to do that as well. I think the one thing I'll say to Jeff um, about the Corey Perry situation is I saw a lot of stuff online about, um, you know, the Kyle Davidson press conference and why is he not saying more and, like, why are they handling this this way? And I just want to say, like, I can't blame people for not giving the team the benefit of the doubt. Like, we can't expect fans to forget what happened with Kyle Beach and the cover-up. And and if this is how people want to react anytime, you know, some more controversy hits the Chicago Blackhawks, like, you know, that's kind of, that's what happens when, when, you know, you handle a sexual assault allegation the way that you did. But I think if we look at it in a vacuum, um, I -hmm. think they handled this pretty well the team was notified of the allegations last week you know emily kaplan reported that Corey perry was on the trip to columbus travel with the team on tuesday an incident happened um they investigated it and now he's you know being waived i you know i think i look at this again in a vacuum and say i don't know what else the team was going to do when it comes to handling what just happened with Corey perry so um i know you yeah. said the story's not over and then i think yeah hockey wise you see them make the move for anthony beauvillier it's a, a roster that's now a little bit stripped down so they got to find ways to get more 
get more guys and try to remain competitive, you know, for Connor Bedard's sake and, and mm-hmm. his development. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And it's going to take a long time for the Chicago Blackhawks to build it back up um, with their fan base and with mm-hmm. everyone around the NHL. But I'm with you. Like, I, I come back to this idea because I know there were the howls about, you know, they need to say something. They need to give us more information. You know, we need more oxygen to this story right away. Um, get the paddles out. Give this Give this story some life so we know what's going on. Listen, like I work in a corporate environment. Um, you know what corporate environments are, are like to work yeah. in as well. The majority, I would imagine, or at least a part portion of the people listening or watching right now know what it's like to work in a corporate environment. And when you hand something over to like the HR department, the first thing they do is they remove uh, the person or persons involved. The Blackhawks uh-huh. did that. And they tell everybody to play dumb janitor. Whether it's the coach, whether it's the GM, whether it's the owner, whether it's the players, there was a whole lot of, we don't know what's going on. Uh, We we don't have any information. We can't share anything with you. Like, that's what HR departments do. And I know cynical people look at, you know, HR and say, oh, all HR is is internal PR. That's all that HR departments do. But like in, in these situations, like the first thing they do is shut down all the noise around it. So they can mm-hmm. they can do their investigation. I know, like again, I know the Hawks have not bought the benefit of the doubt from anybody, yeah. and are not even close to, to to building that back up. But I am with you. Like I know this was a a chance for people to take a free shot at Chicago. I get it. Totally, we all saw it. Like okay, and they well, there's, deserve there's it. Like they deserve it. it. Okay. You know that's that's how I they feel. Do. Like I know. This is what I know. happens every time something happens. Like so be it. You deserve it yeah. for what what how you handled the Kyle Beach situation, but I think we both agree, like, I don't know what else they were supposed to do differently with Corey Perry here. They cut him, he's gone, you know? Here be... Yeah. Now, now here becomes one of the other questions too, and I, I think the answer to this is yes, just because I've seen it so many times, and you have as well. Duh, I don't think anyone's going to claim Corey Perry, but do you think anybody signs Corey Perry? Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past anybody. I think it depends on what actually. This is the problem with this question, I guess, Jeff. Is like we don't actually, we don't totally know mm-hmm. what happened yet. So I feel like we kind of have to wait and see for ultimately like what what happened and what's going to happen um, with Corey Perry, but I also wouldn't put it past a team for, for signing him. Okay. Um, off the Chicago page here, a couple of more things. Uh, last night, the Vancouver Canucks beat the Anaheim Ducks. Anaheim uh, have gone from the darlings and the surprises in the NHL <laughs> to now Anaheim as they've lost yeah, seven games in a row. And they very much come yep. back down to earth, which would we expected. But in the process, I think they allowed Anaheim Ducks fans to see what this team is going to look like down the road. And it's pretty exciting. Uh-huh. But at the end of it, this is still going to be a struggling team. Nonetheless, Vancouver wins 3-1. to one. Uh, Brock Besser with a pair of goals. Brock Besser now has 17, leading the NHL. You know, I do a Wednesday hit um, every week on the Halford and Bruff show in Vancouver and was talking to the guys this morning about how how easy it is to cheer for someone like Brock Besser and how mm-hmm. impossible you have to have, like, the coldest, coldest heart not to feel for Brock Besser and be really happy whether you're a Vancouver Canucks fan or not at yeah. what he's been able to achieve so far, considering all the personal tragedy that has surrounded him. Uh, I've uh-huh. been through that a couple of times. Um, I would suspect you have uh, as well. I mean, everybody everybody has. Everyone's yeah. everyone's been touched by it. And I love the stories of him driving his dogs to Vancouver instead of flying. Like, I love all of this stuff. Do you have a thought yeah. on, on Brock Besser right now, who stands alone 
uh, away from, you know, the, the Austin Matthews and the Kucherovs, et cetera? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think on like the human personal note, um, yeah, I mean, my dad, I, I think we've talked about this. I've shared this before. My dad had cancer. Um, so knowing like what Brock yeah. Besser went through, I can't imagine what it's like to like lose your father. I mean, my dad is, you know, you know, he, he beat it and he's good, but like, that's some of the most devastating stuff that I think a family can live through um, and go through. So I think just on that human personal level, of course, you know, you're always rooting for somebody like Brock Besser. And, you know, I think it's great that he had, you know, goal 16 and 17 on hockey fights, cancer night. And I think, you know, it's, you know, when you're a writer, you're radio doing whatever in this industry, you're always kind of looking for those um, nice leads. So there's nice bookends. And I think, you know, it was what the last hockey fights cancer night in Vancouver, he's supposed to be a healthy scratch. Um, then he ends up yeah. playing because there's the uh, injury or illness. I think it was, um, then he ends up playing, but you know, he ends up kind of having that trade request and you kind of look from that last night to this one, you know, how, how different, things are you know you're almost looking at this like reinvented player I mean Brock Besser's always been a gifted goal scorer that's something that he's always kind of had in the toolkit um but I think we're seeing a different Brock Besser obviously still in the Vancouver Canucks you know he's rescinded that trade request leading the NHL in scoring he's one short of his total 18 goals from last season as well already through uh this year on pace for what 60 I'm not good at math I think it's 60 um but I think when you watch Brock Besser and you watch the Canucks um, it's like all the other stuff that's allowed him to be scoring at this rate. You know, he's you're seeing him establish like body position at the net front. He's winning puck battles. Um, he's you know his puck possession numbers are good. The five on five numbers between him and Miller's line are excellent. You know, rounding out that kind of one side of his game seems to have helped boost the offense. Um, and I think we're seeing a Brock Besser, you know, be rewarded by Rick Tockett in sense of getting more five on five ice time, getting more, um, getting trusted with more difficult matchups and coming up with the puck in those more difficult matchups, right? You know, he's being trusted to defend leads at the end of the game. He's got three empty net goals this year. He wasn't getting thrown out, you know, to defend a leader in the final few minutes of the game last year. Um, so he's getting more yeah. ice time, more opportunity at important times. And I think that's just such a credit to him and, and again, as we talk about the human level, I think it's just great to see a person that we all root for kind of, having success and thriving this season after a couple of really, um, you know, up and down and, you know, personally um, sad years. So I think it's great. I love, I love seeing that happen for Brock Besser. You and me both. Uh, I want to transition to Toronto, Florida here in a second, but one more follow up on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll just focus on the Western conference here. Where do you put Vancouver? Like right now, technically they're second in the Western Conference. Vegas is still number one, but this is a Vegas team right now that's, you know, kind of hit a speed wobble. Uh, I think that's we're all on the same page about that. Um, but like, I don't know that I'm ready to put them in that Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, rarefied yeah. air in the Western Conference. Maybe LA is in that conversation too. Like I kind of look mm-hmm. at it like this, hey, like there's there's a bullet and then there's the vacuum behind the bullet. Like the bullet are those teams that I just mentioned, and but then right behind are the Vancouver Canucks, and maybe you can argue yeah. the Los Angeles Kings, but I think they're more in the Colorados and the and the Vegases and the Dallases. How do you position Vancouver right now? Like, how do you see them? Yeah, I think I'm with you because I think when I look at how I viewed these teams before we started seeing them play, when you know we started at the beginning of the season, I think the sure bets for the number one, two, and three teams for me was 
Vegas, Colorado, and Dallas, and I, you know, I feel like I'm on the Stars bandwagon like crazy. So for me, it was like Dallas and then Colorado and then Vegas. <laughs> and um, you know, I just think the Stars have such a fun top nine, Jake Ottinger, et cetera. So I'm big, big Stars Wagner yeah. here. Um, but I think I'm with you. I think when you look at the West and like those are the kind of top three. Um, and then, yeah, you look at, I think the LA Kings um, have been solid. I think in the early season, I was not sure because of goaltending. I was like, oh dear, did I make a mistake and how I was viewing the LA Kings, but obviously they've been playing well. They've won five in a row. They're eight, one, one in their last 10. Um, and then, yeah, I think you have the, the yep. Kings and the Cucks in that like very next tier. Um, and then you're looking at, you know, the Jets, I think, are a playoff team. And then you've got a, a ton of question marks, right? You've got the St. Louis Blues. You've got the Preds. You've got all the retoolers under there, right? So I think mm-hmm. when you have – there's, like, two distinct tiers at the top, and then there's a bunch of question marks. And then you've got the Oilers, too. Um, you know, McDavid's back. Are the Oilers back is the big question, right? Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that yep. the – that the Oilers have won three straight while McDavid has had three straight multi-point games. Um, so, yeah, I think I see the West rolling out that way. You've got the top three, then the next two, and then a bunch of, like, I don't know <laughs> how to feel <laughs> about these people. Well, listen, Na- <laughs> Nashville's won six games in a row. Don't look now. But all of a sudden, yeah. the, Pre- the, the Preds are becoming a force in the Western Conference. Pete Weber joins me at the, uh, the bottom of the hour. Pete called game number 2,000 uh, last night, which is just phenomenal yeah i know he's just such a wonderful guy too and i'll talk to pete at the bottom of the hour um let me ask you about florida and toronto specifically um well the uh the double tap uh, evan rodriguez double tap we all thought it was the game winner and leafs fans were going uh, home sad uh, from scotia bank yeah. and then they were called back when it was ruled that it was a double tap and the puck had gone back and uh, everyone came back and noah gregor we now know about noah gregor he likes to shoot blocker side <laughs> And he's yeah. deadly accurate with it, whether it was the, his, the, the Leafs' first goal of the game or the eventual shootout game winner. How did you see that? Uh, where do you see the Maple Leafs right now? And I do want to make a couple of points about the, the Florida Panthers, who I just think look tremendous, even in a loss last night. But your thoughts on what you saw from the Maple Leafs last night? I don't know if I've ever seen that happen, by the way. Maybe I just don't pay close enough attention, but I don't know so, if I've ever seen, like, the double tap, like, or at least in a dramatic fashion, because that would have been the game winner. And then you've got this dramatic pause and, Oh, it's not the game winner. Yeah. And then the Leafs end up winning. Maybe it's just because it was the Leafs, but I don't know if I've ever actually like watched yeah. something like I, that happen. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, it's funny. I, it's funny. Cause I, a buddy of mine texted me last night and said, you got to mention Lake Placid. So three weeks ago, um, my 13 year old was in a tournament in Lake Placid and he got selected on his, I think there were 12 teams or 15 teams. I can't remember now. Um, every team, uh, has one shooter and they did a shootout competition. And in one of the, I think it might've been one of the final shots too. Uh, we had, we had a double tap controversy. So it's funny. I had just mm-hmm. seen one. I think it might've been my first too. I think we had, I think it might've been my first. Uh, I had just seen a double tap tap uh no goal called in uh, lake placid three weeks ago that's why when i saw that it was like ooh, shades of three weeks ago in lake placid but nhl geez i have to really sit down and good have a good hard think about that one mm-hmm. um and yeah i think in, i think just in general with the leafs i feel like and this is because it's toronto i was expecting to look at their recent results and see that they've lost like six in a row or something. I think the way that everyone's talking about the Leafs and of course, like, you know, they're down 
a bunch of defenders. Mark Giordano goes down. Timothy Lilligren um, is already out. John Klingberg's already out. I already had concerns about the defense heading into the season, and now it's even more strapped. So obviously there are concerns, beliefs. What's wrong with Mitch Marner? Sheldon Keith losing his mind on the bench. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, like all these problems, beliefs. Like they're five, one, and one. Their last six, <laughs> you know. So I think yeah. the results. But like the, there's the, the, issues, right? Like it's not a happy. And this is one of those times where I feel like it's the Toronto thing to freak out about the Leafs. But at the same time, a lot of it is <laughs> a lot of it is um, warranted. Like it's not a sexy, fun five one and one. Like there's there's some concerns there, but they're still getting results. Um, yeah. I was really hoping we had this conversation on on the athletic hockey show that I host with Sean Gentili, and um, his his whole thing at the beginning of the year was, I just want the Leafs to have a really good regular season, no controversy, no issues. They're really good. Everything's fine because I don't want to do the whole what's going on with the Leafs thing all season, and you know that hasn't happened for him. So it's been one of those well, years. Again. No, and I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure one of the things that gets talked about is how they only have five regulation wins. Yeah. And of all teams in the playoffs, that is the lowest. Like at the end of the year, one of the things, like if you're looking for playoff success or trying to project playoff success, one of the things you can do and probably should do is create the real standings. So take yeah. every team's record and completely subtract all the overtime and shootout victories. That gives you an accurate snapshot because I should probably call the NHL about this because I'm not sure if they've changed it yet. Are they doing shootouts and overtimes, three-on-three overtime in playoffs? Because they haven't yet. I haven't checked with the league, but I don't think they're doing it again this year. Um, okay. So that doesn't happen in the playoffs. So just suck those stats out, and that gives yeah. you an accurate snapshot of what this team is all about. Yeah, that's I I knew that it wasn't a ton of regulation. I honestly I didn't have the five stat in there. That's bottom five in the league. Five. Oh, that's brutal. bottom six. Like quite quite frankly, that that's 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 really awful. Um, other yeah. end of the rink though, I will tell you what, I know they they Scott. Hey, Florida yeah. Panthers top of my watchability rankings right now. Gotta say, number one, number one. We'll we'll watch them often if they're on television. Yeah. <laughs> They're an exciting team, and they play hard, and they're skilled, and they like all those things that you know Paul Maurice talked about after the Ottawa win, which was a tilted rink, and then last night back to back, and they're in it all the way. And if it weren't for the double tap, and Rodriguez would have scored clean, they would have won that game as well. That's an impressive, hardworking, skilled team. They're they're trying to get Pat Kane, couldn't make it fit for the cap. Oh well, but that's a team that like defends well. Defends each other well, has good goaltending, yeah. has great scoring up front, uh, has a great, you know, one of the elite players in the game in, in Barkov and Matthew Kachuk as well. Like, this is this is a really impressive team. It almost makes me wonder, like, how are they out of it for so long last season? Yeah. They, um, and they, they don't give up a ton of time and space, too. As you said, they're a really tough team uh, to play against. And you see them, you know, they there wasn't, I would say last night's game was, you know, pretty low event when you're looking at the Leafs, and that's a credit to the system and the style that the Panthers play. They're pretty suffocating. Um, So, wasn't, uh, yeah, I've been impressed with the Panthers. I don't know. I think last year was just trying to figure it out because they changed their style, right? They were trying to adjust to what Paul Maurice wanted them to do, and they're trying to adjust to 
this new system. They've got new players in the fold. Um, and once they took to that, I mean, we saw them take off, make the playoffs, and, and make their great run, and everything's been pretty good since. They were one of those teams yeah. that I looked at at the beginning of the season and wondered, are they going to be able to weather the storm, um, waiting for their guys to come back from injury? Like, how's Matt Kachuk going to look? Um, and, you know, just like last year when I said, are the Boston Bruins going to be able to weather the storm with all those injuries? They did it, and I look stupid. So, love that for me. <laughs> well, listen, I, I think if you're a, a Calgary Flames fan, you're looking at the Florida Panthers, and you're saying, where was that Sam Bennett? And I think if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, like, honestly, you look at the Florida Panthers, and you're saying, where was that Oliver ekman Larson? Like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like we all like Sam Sam really it's Bennett really established himself quickly in Florida and I know Vancouver fans may not want to hear this, but Oliver Ekman Larson has played really well for Florida. Shh yeah. Haley, there are Vancouver people listening. Don't tell don't tell them. We that. just had a really nice uh, he's look good. Professor chat. You don't have to bring it up. It's fine. I know. We I'm don't sorry. have. To. I'm sorry. They, it's an it's an embarrassment of it's an embarrassment of riches right now in Vancouver. It's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oliver Ekman Larson's playing well. They should be happy for him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, PWHL. A couple a couple of things. So some announcements oh. yesterday, uh, and today is today's final cut day. Getting the rosters down. Um, so game one, January first, uh, New York, Toronto, twelve thirty Eastern at the Madame Athletic Center. Um, Uh January 2nd, Montreal, Ottawa, the 3rd, Minnesota, Boston, the 5th, Toronto, New York, and the 6th, Montreal, Minnesota, the 13th, Boston, and Montreal. So we're starting to get some dates, and we also have some venues announced as well. I mentioned Madame Athletic Center for uh, Toronto. That's for the uninitiated. That's the the old Maple Leaf Gardens. Mm Minnesota is going to use the XL Energy Center. I'm imagining there will be some drapes in use as well. Um, yeah. Ottawa uses the uh, TD Arena. That's where the Ottawa 67s of the OHL play. Boston's playing in Lowell, 30 miles north. Uh, Montreal yeah. in Verdun at the Verdun Auditorium. And New York, you know, thankfully, because I heard UBS originally for this one, yeah. thankfully, uh, I mean, it's it's Bridgeport at the Total Mortgage Arena. That's where the uh, where the uh, the Islanders play. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the HL team, yeah. I think I think they will still play at UBS a few times. Like I think there's a reason that they didn't brand this team as like the Bridgeport Lady Tigers or you yeah. know Connecticut <laughs> Connecticut team. I think they're going to be playing in New York at times. I think I think some of the venues um, leave something to be desired. Obviously, like having a Boston team play in Lowell yeah. when they you know, instead of somewhere like BU, um, not great. Obviously, having a team in Connecticut, you know, I can imagine fans who were buying the New York ticket packages that were on sale, uh, who live in Manhattan, and now are like, oh, well, that's not New York. That's that's Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, it's not great, but yep. I think um, Stan Kasten kind of explained it. You know, once they started booking venues in the summer, once everything was kind of signed off and delivered, and they finalized their original six markets. Um, a lot of those venues schedules are booked up already. So you can't just kind of waltz over um, to like a big a major venue and say, Hey, we want to have, you know, 12 games here this season. It's not going to happen. So I think um, those are the home opener rings, but for some of these teams, I expect that we'll have games in different venues. Um, there's going to be neutral site games. There'll be games at NHL arenas and some of those markets too. So yeah. um, we'll see how that, kind of falls out and then yeah for today there's um today is the first round of cuts so teams need to get down to 27 i don't think we're going to see any of the cuts until the end of the waiver period so the way it was explained in the league's press release was um teams need to cut down to 27 
um, ahead of the waiver period, which is from the 30th to the 2nd. Um, so essentially yeah. they're just allowing teams to, to cut two players and let them go to a different camp um, at this point in time so they can have another opportunity. So I think, I think we're going to see, obviously all the GMs want to beat each other in the end, but I do think we are going to see, I've talked to some of the general managers, general managers and coaches in the league about this. I think we're going to see some kind of collaboration because they all understand that, you know, if, if a player gets cut and they don't get another chance, their career in North America is just over by nature of how many spots there is. So I think we'll see some yep. GMs say, oh, look, we've got a lot of depth on right wing, but this player's looked really well, good at camp. We just don't have any room. And they'll call up, you know, Toronto will call up Boston and say, this player's really good. I, mm. You guys might do it right winger. Like, you should call this person up. I think we'll see some of that collaboration to ensure that these players continue to have an opportunity to, to win a roster spot and a contract. So I don't think we'll see any of that until the end of the waiver period, though, which would be on the second. Um, but certainly today is kind of the day where GMs, and coaches need to make their decisions. Um, I, you know, I don't have all the numbers in front of me. I think, um, I think Ottawa has a ton of players at camp, so there will be a lot of movement from Ottawa players. Um, Minnesota has quite a mm-hmm. few players at camp. Toronto only needs to make two two cuts today. Uh, they only have 29 players right now. It's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Everyone was allowed to bring up to. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me. I think it was like up to 37 players. So I think if you took the mm-hmm. max, you'll have to cut you know, double digits. So that'll be, it'll be tough, but I think, you know, teams will have the opportunity to bring some more players in. Cause there's still lots of meaningful spots. Not everyone's cl- all locked up. So yeah, we'll see. We shall see. Uh, so now we have some dates uh, and some rinks, as you mentioned. And I'm with you. I, I look at some of these rinks, you know, even Toronto, and, and wonder, like, oh, is this just a temporary staging post until they get to the rink that they really want to play in uh, yeah. long term? We shall see. Um, yeah. Haley, is always, full value. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and we will chat in seven days, my friends, seven days. Thanks, Bestie. There she is, Haley Salvian uh, from The Athletic uh, and Sportsnet Hockey Commentator. You hear her, hear her here regularly on the program, usually Wednesdays. Uh, usually Wednesdays is a writing day, so Haley's in the bestie spot. Haley's in the bestie spot. Uh, in the bestie spot last night, uh, calling game number 2000 was Pete Weber as the Nashville Predators uh, beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Michael McCarron with a couple of scraps. That John Ludwig fight, or a couple of goals and a scrap with the one scrap with John Ludwig. Uh, we'll talk about the Nashville Predators. A look back at Pete Weber's career. Speaking of great play-by-play uh, 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 broadcasters, Sam Rosen, the legendary voice of the New York Rangers, stops by uh, at the top of hour two. Very much looking forward uh, to catching up with him. Uh, so many great stories, despite you know the loss the other day uh, against the um, uh, against the Buffalo Sabers. We'll talk about the Rangers with Sam, and then we'll talk about the Buffalo Sabers, Devin Levi situation, Zach Benson, etc., etc., etc with Lance Lasowski. And that will be your program today. Maddie Marchese stops by an hour or two as well. we got a lot to get to, so I'll zip it and let you know you're listening across the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're watching on 360 or listening on your favorite podcast platform. Merrick's show continues in a moment. Keep it here. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
You know, the uh, Detroit Red Wings have put out the visuals of Patrick Kane stepping on the ice. He won't play tonight, by the way. Uh, put the visuals out of Patrick Kane stepping on the ice in Detroit Red Wings practice gear. So he's now played for the Blackhawks, the Rangers, and suiting up now for the Detroit Red Wings. That was yesterday's news. This is the third team of the, don't call it the original six, the solvent six era that Pat Kane has played on. Uh, Sam Rosen coming up top of the hour, uh, Rangers play-by-play voice, and also Lance Lasowski will talk to us about the latest involving the uh, Buffalo Sabres and Devin Levi getting sent to Rochester. Meanwhile, yesterday was a special night for the National Predators. Not only did Michael McCarron score two goals and get into a fight, but the National Predators, uh, who are one of the hottest teams in the NHL, beat the Pittsburgh Penguins now to bring their winning streak to six. They're hot, and uh, one guy who's been there to document all of it called game number 2000 for the Nashville Predators yesterday. He is the great Pete Weber, and he joins me now. Pete, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm doing absolutely great, and congratulations on having that R.J. Way sign right there in your office. I think that's an outstanding <laughs> touch. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, well, listen, you and I have talked about the Buffalo Sabres. You know, I grew up in southwestern Ontario and had a steady diet of, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs games and Buffalo Sabres games, and they've had some great broadcasters over the years. I think Ted Darling would have been the first uh, that I heard with yes. the Sabres, but you were right there as well, Pete Weber. Let's not forget that as well. Thank you. You know, if we, if we get to it, I, I, I do want to mention one Los Angeles Kings story that I, I want to get to if we have time here, because uh, I know that was part of your career, but let's park that quickly yeah. um, okay. and and celebrate you with the Nashville Predators. You know, I, I associate, you. you know, voice voices to teams and with all due respect, the one that I associate most with the Nashville Predators is your voice. Um, you have presented 2000 Nashville Predators games. Uh, when I hear a lot of Nashville Predators names, I hear it in your voice, Pete. What was last night <laughs> like for you, Game 2000 with the Preds? It was emotional, uh, and, and that was just going in the, the whole aspects of what we were about to do with that. But where it really got emotional was realizing that nobody was going to come back and catch Philip Forsberg breaking into the zone in overtime. <laughs> and that was absolutely a tremendous feeling. Uh, we talk about, uh, and then there was a delay for a bit. They were looking over at the Penguins bench, yep. wondering whether or not, uh, you know, there had been an offside there. And would that have been something? Ryan O'Reilly ruled offside and negating that goal. But uh, it didn't happen. And uh, the Predators had a victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Two 500 teams coming into the game. But now I think that the yeah. uh, Predators, they've been able to overcome something here. And that is... They no longer worry about that old phrase we hear, a two-goal lead is the worst in hockey, uh, because they were mm -hmm. able to handle that in last night's game. And the game before that, it was a 3-0 uh, lead that they were able to hold on to against Winnipeg in regulation. Let me ask you about uh, about Michael McCarron. So McCarron yesterday with <laughs> two goals, and he fought John Ludwig as well. By the way, just as an as an aside, and I couldn't help but think of the late great Rick Rippon in that fight when John Ludwig had his hand up beside yeah. his ear, blocking punches the way that that Rick Rippon used to. And I was like, oh, anything, any chance you get to think about Rick Rippon always brings a smile to my face. But um, you know, I didn't know what Michael McCarron was going to become. I don't think any of us did. You know, I no. used to watch him play with the London Knights on that powerhouse team that, you know, went to Red Deer and won the Memorial Cup, Mitch Marner on that team, Matthew Kachuk, et cetera, Ole Olevi. Um, 
And, you know, the, 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 the one thing that we've always known about Nashville, you and I have talked about this, is they've always tried to have tough players on their team. Going back to day one uh, of Patrick this organization, Coche, yes. Pete. How does Patrick, right? Cote, I mean, listen, Darcy Hordacek, and we've talked about how he yep. turned in the perfect season once, 60 penalty minutes and 12 fighting majors, the first and only perfect season for a slugger in the history of the NHL. Um, you know, how does Michael McCarron fit into this mix? I mean, you have like Roman Yossi, you mentioned Philip Forsberg. How does Michael mm-hmm. McCarron fit into all of this? He is a very dependable center iceman. The coaching staff has complete trust in him and his ability to go out and, and win the big draw. Uh, and uh, he is obviously has size going for him, but he is not reluctant to go. And it's interesting, a little mm-hmm. poll that the Tennessean newspaper's reporter ran this last week or so. Michael was also voted by his teammates the best trash talker on the team. So uh, let's, let's <laughs> see what goes from there. If you're a trash talker, I guess you better be ready to put the Dukes up. Uh, yes, and, and clearly McCarron is. Um, you mentioned uh, Philip Forsberg a second ago. You've watched a lot of hockey, and you've seen a lot of hockey players for a long, long time. Can you rank Philip Forsberg's mustache amongst the great? Like, I'm sure somewhere in your heart you might be saying, oh, you know what, Jerry Korab had the best mustache. But then along comes Philip Forsberg. Where do you, where do you put Philip Forsberg amongst the, uh, amongst the best mustaches in the game? Well, I also have my former broadcast partner, Terry Chris's buddy, Lanny McDonald, uh, up in there in the Pantheon. Yeah, of and course. If we're going to do a Mount Rushmore of mustaches, I think he has to be one of those <laughs> that would be up there. And also somebody that I think you've run into and somebody I knew from the Los Angeles Kings, Glenn Goldup. He had a great stash. Absolutely oh, yeah. great. Though Charlie Simmers was right there, too. Mm-hmm. There have been some beauties uh, over the years. Oh, okay, let, let me get to a quick L.A. Kings story here. So yeah. yesterday I woke up, and one of the first things that I saw um, when I flip up my computer was I'm scrolling through my through my Twitter, and uh, it's a note that yesterday was the anniversary of Billy Smith being, cre- being the first goaltender credited with a yes. goal in the NHL, in the game against uh, the Colorado Rockies. And it got me to thinking about the Los Angeles Kings, 1977, Rogi Vashon. It was a game against the New York Islanders when yep. Rogi Vashon, I don't know how briefly or how long until they discovered it wasn't him and it was Vic Vanaski, was credited with the first goal ever scored. So I called Mike Murphy. I'm like, Murph, you were you were on the team yeah. then. You know, take, the take me back. He goes, oh, I... Yeah, he, he, I think he might have been because he was like, yes, it was Brian Trache. He tried to fire it back to Potvin, missed, and it went right in the nets. Um, and then, correct me if I'm wrong here, right away over the PA, the LA Kings went into sell mode. You've just witnessed history. Get your programs. Don't leave here without a souvenir from the Los Angeles. Maybe they even yeah. already knew that Vic Vanaski had actually scored the goal and not netminder Rogi Vashon. Can you take us back to that one? Oh, that, and then I'm also thinking about uh, when Bob Lorimer was involved in, in a game where Billy Smith got credit at, at uh, Colorado against the Rockies. Uh, that that was a period of time where Jack Kent Cook still owned the team. Nobody mm-hmm. that I can think of was a bigger promoter and thus trying to cash in on things in sports than was he. And uh, I think that uh, he probably ordered John Ramsey to go on the mic right that time and push 
programs, <laughs> etc., all available right now. And I tell you, John, I think this would be a good idea. <laughs> when, when, when you hear that name, what are some of the more, I don't want to say outrageous, but more creative stunts from Jack Kent Cook? What, what comes to your mind, Pete? You've seen plenty. Well, and, and number one, they go back to Toronto with the Maple Leafs baseball team where he would fly orchids yes. in from Hawaii for Ladies' Day. And uh, how, mm. how brilliant he was knowing owning the Washington Redskins would be his cachet to getting his U.S. citizenship by an act of Congress. Giving the tickets out to the right members of Congress made him a U.S. citizen by acclamation. And uh, he he's absolutely incredible with that. Very He never stopped thinking. He always had something going. We had a yeah. meeting once uh, wondering about how Bob Miller and I could work the sponsors' names in more frequently to the broadcast, give them more bang for their buck. And so Bob said, do you mean I should say Marcel Dion scores two minutes into the period, and then I'm supposed to go dot soon for Datsun? So uh, that was one theory that we had there. Speaking of Marcel Dion. There was a great story. Yep, go ahead. Marcel, I'm having my teeth cleaned last week, and the tool they're using on me in the dentist's office is just labeled Little Beaver. So, of course, the first thing I think of is Marcel. I take a picture of it, yeah. text it to him, and he says, you've got to be kidding me. Should I sue? <laughs> it's, one, it's one of the great nicknames in the, in the history of the sport. Um, yes. I'm trying to remember who it was, but there was, there was someone that Jack Kent Cook hired to stand beside the Philadelphia Flyers the, when they were the Broad Street Bullies, stand beside yes. the bench to intimidate. Was Jim Who Brown. was that? Jim Brown. It was, it was Jim Brown. Okay, player. give us that. What yes. was that story? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But actually, that was after the sale of the team. So the man who employed him to do that was Jerry Buss. Jerry Buss hired Jim Brown to come oh. in. And it was just at a few weeks before that time. Brown was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And the, the, the theory was that he was planning a comeback to the NFL. And this is, what, 1979. So he had been retired 14 years already. He looked in pretty darn good shape, and he was intimidating enough for the Philadelphia Flyers. As a matter of fact, Buss had four seats installed between the team benches at the Forum just for that very purpose. Hmm. And it was there. Was he there to not just announce a comeback, but intimidate the Philadelphia Flyers, who had some notable tough yes. guys on the roster? He was told to stare very work? deeply. Well, uh, the Kings' losing streak against the Flyers continued for several more years, uh, but it was uh, his job was to stare most intently at Paul Holmgren and Ben Wilson. I can recall that from that night. Ooh, two of the toughest of all time. Um, I've got a couple of minutes left with you here. And you called last night you called uh, game number 2000 with the Preds. Um, I know this is maybe like, okay, who's your favorite child? But here I go. <laughs> Over the years, who are some of your favorite Preds to call? Like whose game did you just adore? Who did you really enjoy on this team? Well, the guy who got the winner last night has been in that category for quite some time, Philip Forsberg. But yeah. Shea Weber... And we're not related, okay, guys? We'll make this clear. Uh, We share the same surname. But Shea Weber, huge fan of his and what he could do. Paul Correa was absolutely fantastic here. And then 
I even relished the brief period of time that we had another non-related, but we had Peter Forsberg in Predator's Colors. Uh, yeah. That was a great time in the team's history. And and I think as well as Thomas Volkun, Pekka Rene, uh, Steve Sullivan. Yeah, you're asking me to name my favorite child. And it's <laughs> it, it gets to be a little bit <laughs> difficult. Those names come to, come to mind first. Uh, let me ask a follow-up on Peter Forsberg. Just one of my favorite players of all time, and I always delight in, in Peter Forsberg's stories. And I like the idea. Like I, I love hockey players that don't quit, and we should be celebrating... Like I know a lot of people look at Forsberg and say, oh, don't diminish the legacy, leave the stage while they're still clapping, all of that stuff. Yeah. I love the fact, Pete, that this guy was going to try everything to find a boot that fit him properly, that allowed yes. him, that allowed him to continue to play hockey. I know it was endlessly frustrating for Forsberg. I get it. It must have been yes. frustrating for Preds fans and the Preds organization as well. Do you have a thought or two on like the resiliency of Peter Forsberg just like not going gentle into that good night? Like I'm going to, you know, rage, rage, all of it, like die against the, the dying of the light. Just a thought on how Peter Forsberg did whatever it took to get himself in the lineup every night. I loved his stubbornness. And I, I think the best story about him was when his spleen had to be removed and nobody had any idea when he was yeah. playing for the Avs. And uh, the report that came out the next day, well, he had his spleen removed last night, uh, so he will be out for the you know, foreseeable future. <laughs> he, The stubbornness that he has exhibited in trying to continue going after that, but I've got a goal for you, for the Jeff Merrick Show. I think if you could possibly okay. get Peter on as a guest and have him uh, redo his great version of the Allen Iverson practice rant. They were in oh, yeah? sports at the same time. He did it brilliantly without a, without a hint, hardly of any accent whatsoever. And it still tears me up thinking about it to this day. I love it. Uh, consider that challenge accepted. Uh, any reason to get okay, Peter Okay, you let me know when it's going to be scheduled. Uh, even... even I'll, I'll let you know, and I know you'll be tuned in, as we've been for a number of years, as you call Preds games. Listen, Pete, uh, always a delight. You be well. Stay healthy. We'll check back soon, my friend. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be on. And again, thanks for RJ Way right there in your studio. Your class act. Uh, the great Pete Weber, play-by-play uh, -play voice of the Nashville Predators, uh, has worked uh, in the broadcast booth with the Buffalo Sabres, the Los Angeles Kings, the Buffalo Bisons. Let's not forget about that. You go look at some old Bisons videos and... Who's calling the games? It's our man, Pete Weber. All right. Congratulations. Calling game number 2000 with the Nashville Predators last night, a 3-2 victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nashville has now won six games in a row. Things are going smooth for Nashville right now. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. How'd you enjoy that? Matt Marchese, a little chat with the great Pete Weber. Oh, man. Pete's the best. Like, just a smile on his face the entire time during that interview. Like, Matt Marchese, I, I do we it. have you aboard? Oh, you got me now, Jeff? Ah, uh, there we go. There we go. I'm in the studio. Yeah, Pete was great. He had a smile on his face the whole time. I love it. Like, it's just, he's the yeah, best. Yeah, watching on the monitor. He's great. He's a great guy. He's, he, now, just so everyone knows, and I always love to tell this story. Pete Weber is the only person I know that owns a copy of the movie Slapshot. And, no, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Pete Weber is the only person that I know who has a copy of the movie Slapshot in every room in his house. You walk into Pete Weber's house, every single room there is a 
copy of Slapshot, Maddie. <laughs> I know that's near and dear to your heart. I love it. It's true. Uh, Pete also called yeah. games for the Seattle Supersonics of the NBA, and uh, the he was a color commentator yeah. for the Bills of the NFL. So Pete has done everything, and he's uh, he's a treat. Uh, okay, let's he's, get to what we got to talk about here. The game tonight, sure. uh, it's the Patrick Kane Bowl with no Patrick Kane. Uh, Red Wings at the Rangers. <laughs> Puck line is uh, minus one and a half for the Rangers. The Red Wings are five and eleven in the last sixteen meetings in New York. The favorite is seven and three in the last ten, and the under is fifteen four and three in the last twenty two meetings in New York, and twenty four four and three in the last thirty one meetings overall. Since coming back from Sweden, the Detroit Red Wings have been. Excellent. Things did not go well in Stockholm at all for the Detroit Red Wings, and they came back with a whole bunch of questions. But since then, it has been a string of victories for the Detroit Red Wings and starting to deliver on the promises that young hockey players always carry with them. Having said that, uh, whether it's Alex DeBrinkett or Dylan Larkin or Alex Lyon, like this is a team that isn't just, you know, surfing on kids here if you haven't watched the Detroit Red Wings. We had David Perron score goals number 299 and 300 uh, on Sunday against the Minnesota Wild as they put a the final nail in, in Dean Everson's coffin. Uh, but to me, eyeballs on the Rangers on this one. Pat Kane's still not in the mix, not playing tonight. But the New York Rangers, despite the loss the other night against the, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, this is a team that has demonstrated that they are a force to deal with uh, in the NHL. You could make the argument, with all due respect, Los Angeles Kings, calm down. They might be the best team in the NHL right now as we speak. And don't look now, Adam Fox coming back. So they just got better and deeper, despite the fact that Capocaco's gone in LTIR. Ouch. That hurts. Uh, that's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Detroit Red Wings, and the New York Rangers. Speaking of the Rangers, coming up in a couple of moments, a great Sam Rosen from one great play-by-play voice to another. From Pete Weber, we go to Sam Rosen to talk about tonight's matchup from the Rangers' point of view. Lance Lasowski on the Buffalo Sabres as well, coming up in Hour 2. Quick pause, grab a snack, back and more. Back with more on the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360 and on your podcast place, right? Right. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Lance Lasowski about the Buffalo Sabres and their goaltending situation, namely sending Levi down to the Rochester Americans of the American Hockey League. Some say a move that was long overdue. Nonetheless, you know, for Devin Levi, he goes from one three-goaltender situation to another, from Buffalo to Rochester, although I think we all fully expect Levi to play the lion's share of games in Roch. In the meantime, uh, that Buffalo Sabres team beats uh, the team that my next guest calls to play for and has for a number of years. Just spoke to Pete Weber a couple of seconds ago, play-by-play voice, long time, uh, the Nashville Predators, and now we're joined by the longtime voice of the New York Rangers, the one and only, the great Sam Rosen. Sam, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Uh, right now, as you pointed out, the Rangers uh, have gotten off to a terrific first quarter of the season. I don't know if it could be oh, much yeah. better, but uh, we had a little uh, blip uh, the other night against Buffalo, but uh, they're ready to go tonight against Detroit. 
the, like this is an exceptional team. And first of all, just a, a quick lineup issue. Do we know if Adam Fox is playing tonight for sure or not? Uh, as far as I know, he's in. He practiced full yesterday. He's ready to go. He's been cleared by the medical staff, and uh, he's in the lineup tonight, and it's a great return. And the Rangers, uh, a credit to their depth and what they did coming into the season, uh, they've gotten through 10 games uh, virtually most of the month of November and survived uh, very well. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, the, this is one of the top players on the team, one of the top players in the league, and they've been able to get through and continue to win and continue to play well. But they certainly welcome back Adam Fox. He's an elite player. Yeah. You know, you've uh, watched and called a lot of elite-level defensemen over the years as well for the New York Rangers, and I always hate the direct comparisons because everybody is their own player. But when you watch Adam Fox play, Sam, uh, who's, like, elements of which game do you see in there? Like, do you see shades of Brian Leach? you see shades of Brad Park? Like, do you see, what shades do you <laughs> see of uh, in, in Adam Fox from other, other defensemen? I see shades of... Brian Leach, who you touched on, Hall of Fame defenseman, uh, with his ability to move the puck up the ice, to see the ice. He he just has this great vision, uh, which so many of the great players do. He can see the play developing before it actually does. The other uh, player that comes to mind is Sergei Zubov, who helped the Rangers win a Stanley oh, Cup yeah. and went on. Uh, to Pittsburgh and then Dallas and became a Hall of Fame player. But also his ability to control the play, hold on to the puck, never panic, uh, wait that extra moment, make a little move to avoid being hit straight on. Uh, He just has Mm -hmm. the knack of knowing what to do in, in just concise movements that avoid injury and make the play happen mm-hmm. instantaneously. Uh, it's impossible for me to have a conversation about the New York Rangers, Sam, and not talk about Artemi Panarin. Uh, it was only a couple of years ago that I had him number one uh, heart trophy on my uh, on my on my ballot. Uh, and this year, like at various times, I'm getting that feeling again, Sam Rose. And I know there's some stiff competition now. You know, Connor McDavid has has re-entered the conversation, 15 sure. points in his last five games. But w- what's the like? What I mean, you've watched all of Panarin with the Rangers. Is there anything that you see other than the hair or lack thereof anything different (laughs) about Panarin this season I will say that the hair is starting to grow back in uh, but he's keeping it short (laughs) Jeff but uh, I I just think it's it's an attitude this is a great player a great talent and I think that uh, he was he's been hurt by criticism of his playoff performances and especially in light of what happened with the uh, series against the Devils last spring and going out in seven games and and uh, Panarin mm-hmm. was not a factor in the series at all. So I think he came back with uh, a renewed determination uh, to uh, just play better, to be better, to, to be happier with his game. And with yeah. Peter Laviolette coming in, he has given Artemi the freedom to play and yet to play within a structure of the team 
that uh, that has enabled Panarin to to really uh, elevate his game. Uh, the line that they've put together, which started out with Philip Hedl at center, Alexei Lafreniere and Panarin, now is Vincent Trocek stepping up. But I think one big factor mm-hmm. is that uh, Alexei Lafreniere is coming out. We're starting to see him come of age as a player. Just 22 years old, number one pick overall a couple of years ago, and we're starting to yep. see that talent come out. He becomes more of a playmaker. Panarin becomes more of a scorer, shooter, uh, and his game has opened up, and yet he is not a liability defensively at all. He's been coming back, playing hard, and I think um, it's a tribute to his determination and, again, to his overall Mm -hmm. greatness as a player. In conversation with the great Sam Rosen, play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers tonight in action against the Detroit Red Wings. By the way, no Patrick Kane in tonight uh, for the Wings. Um, you know, it's interesting, Sam. A second ago, you mentioned that Devils series. And I think watching that, and I can recall talking to Jack Hughes in the offseason uh, at the uh, NHL Players Media Tour and him talking about how, you know, that was the Stanley Cup for the New Jersey Devils. They just left everything out there and emotionally exhausted. But that was, as we all know, a huge victory for the New Jersey Devils. And I think going into this year, you'd think, okay, the New Jersey Devils have, you know, wing, you know, have the have the wind at their sails now, a big win against the New York Rangers. They're going to come out this season and, and lay waste to everyone in the Eastern Conference. The Metropolitan Division is going to be theirs, and it's going to be tough sledding for the New York Rangers because it's difficult emotionally to lose a series like that. Quite the opposite has happened. The Rangers, I think you can make the argument, uh, have been the best team in the NHL, never mind the Eastern Conference this season, and the New Jersey Devils are struggling. What did you think that that series meant to both these teams? Because common wisdom would have been the Devils are on their way up and the Rangers are on their way down, but we saw the opposite, Sam. We saw the opposite. Well, uh, from the Rangers' standpoint, uh, it certainly has contributed to motivation on the part of veteran players, veteran players like Mika Zibanejad, like Chris Kreider, like Adam Fox, who's uh, only been there for a couple of years, but uh, the captain, Jacob Truba. I think they've taken uh, that, and uh, this group, the the main part of this team, uh, the foundation of the team has stayed together. So they know that they themselves disappointed themselves because of what happened in that series. That They had high hopes after going to the Eastern Conference Final the year before against the Tampa Bay Lightning and winning two games in that series. They felt that they were going to go a long way and losing to the Devils, our traditional rival, uh, really hurt them. So the foundation came back with determination. You had a new coaching staff come mm-hmm. in that kind of changed the atmosphere, the focus, great respect for the new head coach, Peter LaViolette, and his accomplishments. So there was a, a target. The coach came in knowing he had a good team. The players knew that they had underachieved. So together, they have um, mm-hmm. they bonded very quickly. Uh, it, it didn't take time to adjust to Peter Laviolette's style and, and the goals that were set forward. 
So the Rangers uh, got off to a good start. They, uh, after going two and two, they went out on the road, a five-game road trip, which started in Seattle, then played the four Western Canadian teams, and they won all those games. And they've come back with uh, just a, they came back with a renewed feeling that we're a good team and we're going to continue this this winning pattern, and they have. As far as the Devils are concerned, um, I think Jeff, a lot of it goes to the injuries that they had that have slowed them down. Nico uh, Heischer, their captain, missed a lot yeah. of time. Timo Meyer has been out for a while. Jack Hughes was out for uh, a few games. That's a good team. And if they get their goaltending, mm -hmm. they've improved their defense. They've brought in some veteran players. Uh, 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 Tyler Toffoli has been a real good fit. Their younger players are growing. That's a dangerous team, and they've started to win the last few games. So I would say look out for the Devils coming on. You know, Sam, one of my favorite things in hockey are players who remind you of eras previous or eras past. And when I look at Jacob Truba and watch Jacob Truba play, one of the things that I like about him is he reminds us uh, about how hockey used to be played. And last time I checked, body checking was still legal. You were allowed to do it. Um, and from the back end, few, if any, do it better than Jacob Truba. I look at him as like a new school throwback is kind of how I describe Jacob Truba. How would you describe Truba? You watch and document all the games. I love to watch him play the game. Uh, when he was a bit of an unknown coming to New York from from Winnipeg, I think they knew that he physically uh, was strong and and turned out to be much stronger than anybody else they had in the lineup. <laughs> and uh, obviously his total uh, package, his persona, his play on the ice, uh, his uh, intelligence as far as the way the game has to be played, his versatility, he's got offense which actually has been cut back a little bit so he can focus on the defensive part of the game. And boy, is he playing. He plays a great defensive game. He plays that physical game. Mm -hmm. And his timing with his hit hits are second to none. Oh, yeah. And to that, the fact that he's helped a young defenseman like Keandre Miller, who's 22, 23 years old, develop into a solid player in just a couple of seasons. So you put that all together, there's a reason that he's become the captain of the team and his play on the ice has been, boy, just exceptional. Um, I'm just going to ask you one more, Sam. I want to be respectful of your time. You have a game tonight. It's the Rangers facing off against the Tread Red Wings. But I, I, I am really curious about your thoughts. I have to admit, Jeff, that's a TNT game. So I'm I'm home watching. Oh, that's TV. right. Yeah, that's right. My 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 apologies. I, <laughs> I I I I goofed on that one. Okay. So then I'll keep you for the rest of the hour. Then Sam, that's we're going to go in the wayback machine, yeah. and we'll go to '94, and we'll talk about Neil Smith, and you mentioned Zuboff already, and we'll talk about Mark Messier, etc. Um, let me let me just ask you one more, um, Jonathan Quick. Uh, not exactly a secret that Jonathan Quick is on the uh, the shady side of the mountain, uh, but he's playing as if he's still on the sunny side of the mountain. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the Rangers were expecting they were going to get with Jonathan Quick, but I'm guessing they're more than pleasantly surprised 
um, with a 0.930 save percentage and a win-loss record of six and bagel. Your thoughts on Jonathan Quick? Wow. Uh, Jonathan Quick has been, I guess you'd have to say a revelation, other than they knew they were getting a champion. You're talking about a three-time Stanley Cup yeah. champion. Went to Vegas and helped them out. It was nine and five in the regular season. Uh, valuable player in the locker room. The great experience he's had, and of course, uh, his Hall of Fame career with the LA Kings. He beat the Rangers in the Stanley Cup final. Um, they they got someone who is from watching him and being around him and talking with him is totally uh, involved and and contributing to the team. It's all about the team. This is not about uh, salvaging the last uh, couple of seasons or last season, two seasons, whatever it turns out to be of his great career. This is about uh, yeah. being with the team and feeling he can contribute and uh, thus far, the coach has used him well. Uh, he has prepared himself in the offseason, uh, living in Connecticut. He's been around some of the guys who live uh, in, the, in the area. They've worked out together. He came with a great mm-hmm. attitude, uh, understood his role, understands that Igor Shesterkin is the Rangers' number one goaltender. He's the man. But... He was ready to play. Uh, They had a game against Nashville and New York, a clunker of the game for two periods. He came into the third period, played a solid third period. They went out on the road. He played in Edmonton. No Connor McDavid, but he still shut out the Edmonton Oilers. And from there, he has continued to play Mm -hmm. well. His only loss was in a shootout in Minnesota. So his play has been brilliant. Two shutouts, and it's all about the team. You talk to him after a game, and he said, oh, the guys blocked shots. Oh, they were in great position. Oh, they cleared out the front of the net. They cleared the rebound. He's all about team, Jeff, and you have to love that. He's uh, and as you know, he's a dynamite interview and one of the uh, one of the great guys of the game and competes hard. Like he competes fierce. I remember a couple of years ago, it was a game against the Maple Leafs, and he caught a shot high, hit him off the mask, and concussion spotters, uh, you know, sort of signaled down that they wanted to have a look at him after that. And he was indignant, like he was not coming out of the crease. Like they had to like drag him by his goalie skates off the ice, uh, so the concussion spotters could go make sure that he was okay. But that guy. As you know, Sam, that guy competes hard. Um, listen, Sam, I know you'll be tuned in tonight. It's the Rangers and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, you're the greatest. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. And it, it must be real fun uh, to be able to call this team because I know just watching it from you know either my office or my couch, Rangers are must-see television. This team is flat-out good. Uh, thanks, as always, for stopping by, Sam. I really appreciate it. Jeff, I love to be on with you, and you're right. It's an entertaining watch every single night. Yeah. They're a lot of fun, uh, as are you. Sam, as always, thanks, pal. You be well. Thanks, Jeff. You too. Sam Rosen, longtime play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers tonight. One of only three games, by the way, on the schedule uh, tonight on uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. We have the Montreal Canadiens and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Is there really another Blue Jacket that wants out? Really? Chinnikov? 
We'll see what happens there. Uh, and then the late game tonight, Washington Capitals facing off against the Los Angeles Kings. In between, it is the Pat Caneless, the Tread Red Wings, facing off against the New York Rangers, Patrick Kane's last NHL team, as he makes his tour around the arbitrary six in the NHL. Hello, Matt Marchese. How are you? I'm good. Your pal Daniel Sprong gave up his number, too. We should point that out. Good guy. Hang on. Hang on a second. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Did Daniel Sprong really give up his number or did he sell his number i hope he sold his number that's currency man <laughs> get, get that watch pal i know it is <laughs> i know is it do we know what it is no but it's probably it's usually a, a rolex isn't it isn't that kind of the usually, the usually price? that's the way now they both have the same they both have the same agent and pat Brisson as well so i wonder so if you pat pay, sort of brokered the deal or you pay broker, brokered how much this was going to cost from one one player to the other. What's that? You pay yeah, Pat's, you pay Pat's fee, fee for the year. Pat's listening to this going, Pat's listening to this going, yeah, sure, guys. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's that's exactly the way it goes. Way to have a handle on it, guys. Um, uh, anything from last night? We haven't really t- touched on uh, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers last night. That was an impressive game uh, for Edmonton. That was a fun game to watch. I know it's been a, eh, a little rocky for the Vegas Golden Knights right now, but... Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers 5-4 over the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, this one in a shootout. McDavid with three points. He's got 15 in his last five. And you made the bold proclamation yesterday that he was going to win the Art Ross Trophy. Bold, like to real continue bold. to double down on that, Matt. Yeah, I know, real bold. Uh, thoughts on what you saw Ed- Edmonton and uh, the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday? Yeah, they're boring now. They're winning. They're doing what we expected them to do. This sucks now, right? We, can't compl- <laughs> we just want people, we just want things to complain about. Exactly. Like, this isn't really hard. Like, quit making our jobs hard, Jeff Jackson and Ken Holland. And, you know, like, we want Chris Knobloch. Like, we want bad performances. We want things we can grouse about here. Yeah. I think, we don't I, talk about good stories, do we? I think what we have realized is that the Connor McDavid injury was bad and is less bad now and maybe non-existent. Because obviously when he was playing at a certain level, when he's healthy, these are the types of things that you, I don't want to say come to expect, but they're not a surprise, I guess, is what I'm saying, when he has 15 points yeah. in his last five yeah. games. Do you want to know the theory? Sure. Or one of the theories that's out there? We sort of stumbled upon this on the podcast. Uh so you notice what Connor McDavid now is doing with his jersey again? Oh, God. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's tucked in. Yeah. You know the jersey tuck conspiracy theory with Connor McDavid? N- no, but I'm, I can't wait to hear it, though, because I do love a good conspiracy so theory. So the jersey, the jersey tuck conspiracy theory around Connor McDavid goes like this. When he came back, when he came back from the injury, whatever injury it was, he was no longer tucking in the jersey he was playing untucked and as the theory goes again this is only a theory confirmed by nobody in Edmonton this is just sports chatter and wondering why and wondering why uh, he wasn't tucking his jersey the theory is he untucked his jersey because he was wearing special protection to protect an injury sure I can I can, so, I can I buy know. that take like a flak jacket. Take, take, take your take your, yeah. Who who know? I have no idea what. I have no clue what. Like what's the injury? Oblique? Like what? I have no idea what it is. I'll just irresponsibly throw out potential injuries. Everybody's gonna be targeting his ribs now. Do. 
Nah, but I mean, it looks like, you know, obviously it looks like Connor McDavid is fine now and he's over the injury. And all of a sudden, interestingly, the jersey tuck has returned. Dun, 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 dun. This is what happens when people watch, I mean, I count myself as one of them, the game too closely. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Brar noticed that Adam Ernie had changed the color of his tape yesterday. I saw that. To try to shift things up for him. <laughs> and I had to tag you, Tony's of course. Tony's awesome, by the way. So, so uh, Tony knows. Like, Tony get Tony's on top of all of that stuff. Tony's awesome. So, speaking of, like, the equipment stuff, the Adam Ernie stuff, we're talking about changing the tape. So, there was one day yeah, last year when you were off, and I was talking to Steve Valiquette. So, I've been seeing... Mm. I saw a lot of kids when they're drawing pictures on their sticks. And I asked Steve about it. I was like, this is ridiculous, yeah. right? He's like, no, Patrick Kane does it. And I was like, come on. He's like, yeah, he, Patrick Kane. A lot of these guys are doing it. He's like, you should try it for your men's league. I was like, okay, sure. Gave it a shot. These are ridiculous things that we do in this game, Jeff. And apparently draw it pic- works. What do you mean draw pictures like, pictures you, on your sticks? Like yeah. What? You t- whatever. A bullseye. Uh, whatever. It's suppo- Apparently on the oh. white tape, it takes the goalie's eyes away from the puck, even if for a split second. Go tell your kids that. They're going to draw <laughs> nice it? pictures. I don't know. I, Jeff, I don't know. I was like, one of the best men's league seasons I've had in a while, and I had pictures on my stick. So, I don't know. Sure. You want to you hear a really stupid question I asked Kelly Rudy once? Yes, I do. Like, really <laughs> stupid. Like, incredibly stupid. Like, you should never be a broadcaster again. Stupid. So, this is when I was hosting the old Hockey Night in Canada radio show on Sirius. And every day there'd be a different person from Hockey Night in Canada on as a co-host. Kelly would do two nights, so two days a week. Uh, Cassie Campbell, uh, Craig Simpson, like, like everyone, right? Elliot was always on. Um, so in one of the Kelly ones, we were just talking about goaltending, and I asked him about. <laughs> I can't believe I did this. I asked him about the phenomenon of black tape hiding the puck. <laughs> I said. Do goalies have a hard time reading? Like, I'm some, like, genius. Hey, Kelly, do guys have, like, a hard time reading the puck coming off a blade when the when the, when when they use black tape? And Kelly, without missing a beat, says, yeah, Jeff, because goalies can't see depth. <laughs> <laughs> Just merely 2D images of the player coming down. <laughs> There's no depth on that. The puck is not safe. It just blends right in. Yeah, I could I could see how. But you know just what, though? Go to, Kelly was probably yeah. half insulted by just the <laughs> idea of, oh, I didn't soften up pucks for you. Oh, that yeah. You think that that's a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think we're, like, everybody else can see depth in the world, but goaltenders can't. Well, you can make the, um, uh, some, always, the argument that some that. can't, actually. You can make that <laughs> argument. Yeah. Hey, anything uh by the way, Minnesota um ended their losing their seven game losing streak last night. Minnesota beat St. Louis by a score of three to one. So John Hines gets his first game first win in his first game behind the bench. And good sign there. Philip Gustafson with twenty three saves. He was real good. And I'm not sure if you watch it, but that second period's where everything just sort of changed and Minnesota was all over St. Louis. Shots were like eighteen to five or eighteen to four. It was just all of a sudden it just took off. So what does it mean? Who knows? Dead cat bounce, maybe, but Minnesota Wild win one three to one, Maddie. Yeah, and well, I mean we'll see how this goes, but I don't think anybody thought Minnesota was gonna be this bad because even though they have the cap issues and, and whatever goes along with that you know, they've kind of been in and around that third spot in the central for a bit now. And it's relatively the same 
team. Like there's some guys that go in and out, but you know, you look at the goaltending, the well, the goaltending's the same as last year. And Gustafson had one of the best seasons among any goaltender, not named Linus Allmark last but, year. Pa- pause on that for one second though. Sure. Because there there was a while there where where he was considering, you know what, I'm just gonna finish out my contract and then go back to Sweden. Like Elliot and I talked to him in in, uh, in Stockholm at the NHL play, European Players Tour, and I asked him about that. Like, how close were you to going back? And he's like, "Yeah, I was going back in my mind. Like in his mind, he was finishing his contract and going. Mm-hmm. And then he had this incredible season last year, and it's like, hmm, you I know what? I can really set myself up nicely yeah. here. And he has, he really has. But he was like in his mind, you know, at the end of the contract, he was he was heading back to Sweden. He looked great last year. And you know what though, you you know. He, oh, he's fantastic. Either Vesna or yeah. he's Vesna. He didn't light. play enough games for the, Vesna. The thing, that's the thing why. It, yeah. Uh, I, by the way, on that, and for a bigger discussion, I wonder if we're going to have to recalibrate mm-hmm. how many games uh, minimum a goaltender is going to have to play to win the Vesna, considering everything is going to get bumped down, as everybody realizes. You better have a goaltender that's not exhausted by the time you get to the playoffs. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, another side road, uh, Jake Ottinger played again last night. He's trending towards, I think it's 60 or 61 games. Yeah, didn't learn their lesson, did they? For the Dallas Star. Last year he played 62, and we're all saying, yeah, Ottinger looks a little bit tired. They better keep him fresher mm-hmm. for next season. I love Dallas. I think Dallas is an excellent team. And I might be splitting hairs here, and it's still only the quarter way through the season, but I don't know that Jake Ottinger should be playing that much. Yeah, I, I know agree. it's tempting. Like you're Pete DeBoer. You're, you're Peter DeBoer. How do you not say, yeah, Ottinger's our guy tonight, comma, again? But I don't know if he should be playing that much, Matty. You have a thought on that one? Yeah, he's playing too much. And we've learned. And they didn't, apparently. Um, but Jake yeah. Ottinger did look tired because that was an entirely different goalie that we saw in the playoffs than in the regular season. And I know that the game changes and the game's different, but the game is not as different for goalies as it is for skaters in terms of the game doesn't change. You still got to stop the puck. Um, the the, yeah. the stakes increase and all that other stuff, but I don't worry about that with Jake Ottinger. He's been pretty money goalie throughout his early career. But no, I, I think that they, I mean, they've got to figure that out because they can't continue and go on that same path again. Okay. One thing that we want to do here on the program as the NHL all-star weekend, and we talked about it yesterday, this year is in Toronto mm-hmm. and tickets are going on sale soon. So how about every day, Leading till next week until tickets go on sale, an all-star game fact. And you sent me this one yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I know we're talking about the all-star game, so yes, you're going to give me a chance to talk about Eddie Shore. Uh, And that's coming up in one of these all-star game facts. So the first all-star game, and this is what you sent me yesterday, in ice hockey is actually, actually predates the NHL. January 2nd, 1908, 3,500 fans... At the Montreal Arena, fans would have chosen the All-Stars in this one as well, we should mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams in the Eastern Canada Amateur Hockey Association held in memory of Wanderers play- player Hod Stewart, who had drowned three months after the Wanderers won the Stanley Cup in 1907. Proceeds of that game, I think it was $2,100. Mm-hmm. Again, folks, keep in mind, this is 1908. It's a lot of money. Went to Stewart's Family, yes, that's uh, that is a lot of family. Uh, that is a lot of money. And in that game, there was some hockey royalty. 
Because sure it was All-Stars against the Wanderers. And for the Wanderers, there was Art Ross. And one day when I get to do a hockey history podcast, I'll talk about how he created the Nets and the Puck and the Art Ross Summit. Long before there was the Shanahan Summit, there was the Art Ross Summit, uh, which never gets much concert, but somewhere down the road I'll get a chance to talk about it. Uh, also, Percy Lesur uh, was a netminder for the All-Stars. And Frank Patrick... For me, the first family of hockey, the Patricks, things that they created in the Pacific Coast Hockey League still we we have to this day, both on the ice and off the ice and marketing the game and recording the game. I'll go back to the Patrick family. So that was a pretty successful one. It was. And the, the ironic thing about all of this is so Hod Stewart actually quit hockey. After, this, after the, the Wanderers yep. had won the Stanley Cup, he quit hockey because it was too violent. Um, ends up going on a, a, a swim in the Bay of Quinty and has an unfortunate accident from diving, ends up drowning and basically, yep. you know, on the spot. And the game itself, it wasn't even just the first all-star game in hockey. It was the first all-star game in any sport, Jeff. So we can, uh, we can give yeah. credit to hockey for the, the first all-star game. Um, Montreal jumps out to the seven, the the lead that you never want in an all-star game, 7-1 after the first half. Yes, the first half, not the first period. <laughs> uh, right. And they hold on for That's a 10-7 right. win over the all-stars. So uh, the first ever all-star game, yeah. a charity game, which is what they basically were for uh, to start off. And yeah. it was for Hod Stewart, a Stanley Cup champion. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, a Hall of Famer as well. And uh, speaking of charity games, that's what the first NHL All-Star game was all about. We'll get there. Uh, The 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star game will be expanded. It is now a three-day event with NHL All-Star Thursday at Scotiabank Arena featuring the Tim Hortons NHL All-Star player draft. Oh, yeah. I love the idea. Please do it right. Please do it right. The NHL Alumni Man of the Year honoring the 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs and Canadian Tire PWHL 3-on-3 Showcase. Tickets to the NHL All-Star Thursday go on sale Tuesday, December 5th. That's next Tuesday. 10 o'clock Eastern on Ticketmaster, 10 a.m. Eastern on Ticketmaster. You can catch all the action, including the Rogers NHL All-Star Game on Sportsnet. There we go. Every day, a different All-Star fact leading up to when tickets go on sale. Uh, Tuesday, December 5th, 10 a.m. Eastern at Ticketmaster. All right, uh, when we come back, we'll talk about everything going on with the Buffalo Sabres, whether it's goalies going down or players staying, at least for now, before they go back to junior or maybe the world juniors. Zach Benson, we're looking your direction. And talking next to Lance Lasowski about the Buffalo Sabres. Sword talk in moments. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360. It's the Merrick Show. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. The uh, the Buffalo Sabres... Our next in action tomorrow against the St. Louis Blues. The Buffalo Sabres yesterday making headlines, sending netminder Devin Levi down to Rochester of the American Hockey League, turning the three-headed goalie monster of Buffalo 
into the three-headed goalie monster of Rochester. From one three-headed situation to another goes Devin Levi, but nonetheless, uh, Uka Pekalukanen, and if you watch him play lately, you've know what, you'll know why, uh, has very much grabbed the reins between the pipes for the Buffalo Sabres. Here for comment on that and everything else going on in Swordland is the great Lance Lasowski who joins me now. Lance, how are you today? Doing well, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, Lance, of course, from the Buffalo News, uh, all over the Buffalo Sabres. And some would look at the Levi situation and say, this one was overdue. What took them so long? So, Lance, what took them so long? They were waiting to see if Devin Levi was going to play his way into retaining his spot, right? I mean, they've needed that roster spot for the last couple of weeks. Don Granados had to use 11 7, you know, with the injuries they've yep. had. They were really putting this off as long as possible, but they looked at the schedule, 16 games in the next 32 days, very few practices, and let's face it, Devin Levi has struggled. He needs to play games. He cannot play once a week. Uko Pekalukin is playing well. Eric Comrie is healthy and playing well when he's been in the crease. It's time. They tried They tried to put Devin Levi in a situation we have not seen uh a goalie coming out of the NCAA in, you know, in, in years, decades. And he played really well in April, yeah. but he struggled to start. Now it's time for him to get some development opportunities in Rochester. Like, I, I, I applaud the idea of, well, just because it's never happened doesn't mean that it can never happen. So I, I do applaud that. Like, I, and, I, and I do understand it, and that's great. Like, you know, you... You know, what, what's the old great Wayne Gretzky line? Miss all the shots, right? Miss all the shots. Um, but then at a certain point, you realize, okay, there's nothing really about this netminder here that shows us that he's going to be able to buck the trend of goaltenders. I don't even think it's not just NCAA. It's also Canadian major junior hockey as well. Like of any position, Lance, and you've watched players come and go, of any position, whether it's forward, defense, uh, or, or netminder, the hardest transition from either NCAA or, or junior to pro is in nets. Like, to me, like, the automatic default is you're going to spend some time in the minors because that's what you need to do because the uh, the adjustment will be too harsh. We've seen defensemen do it, go from NCAA into the NHL, no problem, major junior as well, forwards ditto. The one area that's always been the toughest, and that's why there are so few, if any, really, a couple here and there that have been able to do it, is the position of netminder. Like, did you see anything in Levi's game that let you believe that he was going to buck this trend ever? Late last season, when you saw him in goal, when he had adrenaline going for him, when he didn't have, he could just play and not worry about retaining his spot, you know, kind of carefree, right? And coming out from that Northeastern season, yeah. he was in top form. It's a lot different. You know, he stepped in, played well, and it was a perfect storm when they said, well, look what he did. Let's, let's try to give this a serious run here. But there are so many reasons, Jeff, and you touched on it just now, why teams in the NHL typically want their goalie prospects to play approximately 100 games between the ECHL and the AHL, or you can mix those in with, with European leagues or whatnot. They need experience in lower levels before they can come to the NHL. Shooters are elite. There is always pressure to be the guy. You don't have a night yeah. where Long Island University is coming into your building and, hey, I can kind of take it easy if I have an off night, whatever. You don't have media asking difficult yeah. questions, but there's pressure on. you got to retain your spot. And to Uko Pekalukunen's credit, he came into camp, and he had a sort of a slow start, but it became pretty clear that he and Eric Comrie, there was clear separation between those two and Lukanen, and experience is a big reason why.
Uh, I don't think that there is, correct me if I'm wrong, a timetable on Levi. Like, oh, he's down for two weeks or he's down for two months or he's down for the remainder of the season. Who, who knows? Like, we don't know if there's, a, um, there, there's, a, there's an expiry date on him and Rochester, correct? No, no timetable right now, and that is the right way to go about this. You can't have him thinking about, oh, I just need to re- reach X amount of games or I need to reach this date and I'll be back in the show. That's right. not how it's going to go. You need to play as much as possible on a good Rochester team. I mean, the Sabres have done a nice job making that a good development yeah. environment for all their prospects. Now it's time to take advantage of it with their goaltending. They've done a nice job with it in forwards and defensemen. But now it's time to leverage that and get this goalie prospect who's extremely talented and has has all the intangibles they like to get some experience and move closer to being ready to play as many games in the NHL as he envisions himself playing. Um, this season hasn't gone according to schedule or what we thought was going to happen with the Buffalo Sabres. I think everybody looked at the Sabres. I was one of them. I'll admit it. Like, I'm not excluding myself from this conversation and thought, wow, this is a team that's not just going to take the next step. This is a team that's going to start jumping stairs by the twos and lurch themselves forward and into a playoff position and become one of the the top teams in the Atlantic sooner than later. Um, But did it not feel to you as if, the beginning of a lot of those questions about what's going to happen to Buffalo even goes back to the draft. And the day before the first round, when the whispers started to get out that, that Jack Quinn had, had hurt himself training in Toronto, um, how would you describe, even going back to that day, what's happened to the Buffalo Sabres since? Sort of wait and see, right? I mean, when they found out about the Jack Quinn injury, they didn't make an aggressive push to add a forward. They called around. They saw. They checked to see what the prices are, and they felt like they were outpriced. They talked to Papersson about Patrick Kane. Let's keep in touch. They kept Victor Olsen thinking he could be a solution. All yeah. along, though, they thought internal improvement was going to be their path to making the playoffs, whether that's bringing in Matt Savoy and giving him an opportunity. They drafted Zach Benson, Yuri Kulik. You got Isak Rose, and they thought yeah. they could sort of build, you know, address their needs from within up front, and it just hasn't happened. Jeff, we're 22 games through the season. If I were to tell where I told you in July that Tage Thompson and Dylan Cuds were only going to have a combined 10 goals through 22 games for the Sabres, you would, you would expect them to be yeah. close to the bottom of the standings. They, they, not only did they really count on those guys to match their offensive production from last season, but they also banked on them to build upon that and improve, and it just hasn't happened. You could, t- you could talk about injuries. You could talk about a player like Cousins maybe putting too much pressure on himself now that he's a $7 million a year player and expected to be the guy, especially now that Thompson is out, and they just haven't gotten to their game. Sometimes it's been compete. Kevin Adams told us, told us that this morning where there's just been some nights where their compete hasn't been there for whatever reason or another, and a lot of it is it's a young team yeah. And I'm going to stress the young that doesn't know how to play a B game when they need to. They don't know how to keep it simple every night. Some, you know, the coach can push it as much as he wants, but those players have to listen and execute. And it just hasn't happened on a consistent basis. Um, I want to ask you about Peyton Krebs. And when the Jack Eichel trade was made, uh, it looked like he was a key young piece going back the other way to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, turns out that Alex Tuck was a more profound part of the trade uh, because he's been exceptional. Case in point, the two games the other night against the New York Rangers. Great leadership, all of it. Um, where are the Buffalo Sabres at? Like, I know he's only 22, but where are the Sabres at right now with Peyton Krebs? 
you could see there was definitely some frustration, you know, from, you know, management, coaching staff, when it came to Krebs' game to start the season. They wanted to take that next step. He did such a nice job filling a defensive role last year, centering that line with Dengus Gergensons and Kyle Poso. Those three were really good defensively, among the best in the NHL in suppressing shot quality at five on five. But a lot of it is also circumstance. They've, they've tried to just put him back with Gergensen's Ocposo. That line hasn't been as effective as it was last year. They've moved Krebs with the wing at times to play next to Dylan Cousins. How's that going to work? It hasn't. This kid is a center. He's a, he is much more comfortable and effective as a center. And right now, he's sort of a young player trying to search for a role. Is he going to be a playmaker? Is he going to be a more defensive-minded center? He's just sort of in this, this in-between tweener stage where – you're starting to see it come out the last couple of games where he's starting to make plays. He's starting to be assertive, winning more puck battles, being sort of that hard-to-play-against guy that really fits with the identity you heard James Patrick talk about when Krebs was in Winnipeg, you know, in Kootenai, in Winnipeg. Yeah. But now it's just they're trying to figure out how to use him, what are his strengths. A couple of good games recently, but he's somebody they really need to step up, especially with Thompson out. Mm-hmm. The um, the Zach Benson situation is an interesting one. Uh, quite the debut, quite the first goal. Um, he's played 12 games now, so the first year gets the burn, which I think is actually more advantage team than it is player. Uh, but nonetheless, I think the the, the 40 game mark is is more important. But we'll park that conversation. Um, how do you see this season playing out for Zach Benson? And is there a I don't know, maybe for lack of a better term, Shane Wright playbook here for Zach Benson and the Buffalo Sabres? That is a very good comparison, and yes, I do believe that is the case. You mentioned the 40-game mark. Right now, he's helping them win. He played over 18 minutes Monday at Madison Square Garden. Should have had a goal or two, three shots, played really well defensively, played a simple game. So right now, they feel like he's giving them a chance to win. But once Thompson is back, once Jack Quinn is back, and let's face it, I mean, Kevin Adams is going to have to add something to this forward group, no matter what, in my opinion. They're going to have to make a trade. They're going to have to do something because they're still a little thin on the right side. At some point, there is going to be a squeeze. And although Zach Benson's doing this right now in November, it's really difficult for an 18-year-old with his size. You know, he's drafted 13th overall, and size is a big part of that. It's tough for somebody like that to sustain it for 82 games, especially when you're on a team with playoff expectations. You're constantly playing under pressure. At some point, you know, like, it would be more likely than not that a move will have to be made, whether it's sending him to one Atchie or maybe there's a trade worked out there. But right now, they're not just interested in sending him to World Juniors because right now he's helping them win. They're still waiting for Thompson and Quinn to come back. Yep. And without Thompson and Quinn, man, they um, there's just it's like no right-handed shots in the lineup at all. It's all it's all lefties. Like if you're Kevin Adams, like top of your grocery list right now, is it finding a right shot forward? It has to be. I mean, they didn't do enough in the summer. They didn't. They, they were banking on Matt Savoy. They were banking on Yuri Kulik or Isak Rose. And when they've got the assets, they got the cap space, at some point you're going to have to leverage that to add to your NHL roster. I feel like they owe it to guys like Alex Tuck, Paige Thompson, even their captain, Kyle Ocposo, who, who came back for another year to try to push this team into the yeah. playoffs. Right now, there is a clear deficiency on the right side. If they don't have Alex Tuck out of the lineup, they're in trouble. They, like, J.J. Perserkos had a really great start to the season, but you still don't have enough yep. there that if you miss Tuck for a game or two, there is a clear hole, and that's why they went after Kane, and yeah. now that they fell short, they got to do something else. 
Um, before I let you go, I want, I want to ask you about Casey Middlestat. It may have taken a while. It may have been bumpy along the way and uncomfortable, and there were some difficult conversations along the way. But has Casey Middlestat arrived with the Sabres now? He has. Yeah, he's absolutely arrived. He, he was so good on the wing last year, protecting the puck along the wall. It started with the power play, actually, where he was making an impact. But once December and January rolled around, he became really – he was able to drive a line from the wing. Now he's back at center, and they're able to they're able to win games without Tate Thompson right now, in large part because of Casey Vittlestat. His playmaking ability, of course, they want him to shoot the puck more, but he's just playing such a complete game. And you know, he's a guy who got who got rushed to the NHL. Part of it might have, was on him and his side, right? He wanted that 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 opportunity. He uses you know leverage and negotiates with the Sabers to get to get the NHL sooner than later, but. Slow play now with the coaching staff, the system. He's just a perfect fit, and now they got to figure out how they're going to sign this guy because he's he's really become an invaluable piece of this team. Uh, let me let me end this interview by winking back at what we started it with, and that is Devin Levi. Yeah. What are they going to do with the goaltenders in Rochester now, from a three-headed monster in Buffalo to a three-headed monster in Rochester? That's tough. I mean, Dustin Tokarski signed with the Sabres thinking he was going to be the number three. Everybody in the hockey world expected them to to to, to, to change that logjam before the season started. It didn't happen. So now you've got – they're already paying Devin Cooley and Dustin Tokarski a combined $850,000, which is no small amount of money. And this is an organization that cut spending in Rochester once Kevin Adams took over. That's a tough one because neither of those goalies should be playing in, yeah. the, in the, the East Coast League and – now, Devin Levi is going to be playing a lot while he's down there. Man, if I'm Dustin Tokarski, I am not amused at any of this right now. Well, no. that's the, the the way it goes, though, in in, in professional sports. Um, Lance, as always, thanks so much. Uh, you got your, your thumb on the pulse, as always. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. Always appreciate it, my friend. Always appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jeff. Have a great day, and definitely talk soon. Lance Lasowski from uh, the Buffalo News covering the Buffalo Sabres next in action tomorrow against the St. Louis Blues. Uh, where We're going to have a... How many games we have tomorrow? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, twenty, thirty. How many games we have tomorrow? We got a bunch. Uh, tonight, only three games uh, on the board around the NHL. So your eyes on Columbus and Montreal uh, on Sportsnet tonight. Rogers, uh, sorry, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. The pregame gets underway at 6.30 Eastern. The puck drops just after 7. There is the Rangers and the Detroit Red Wings. Still no Pat Kane. Not yet. Uh, Los Angeles Kings and the Washington Capitals. You know, do yourself a favor. If you haven't watched the Los Angeles Kings play yet this season, do yourself a favor. Because we talk about, you know, Haley and I were talking at the beginning of the of the program, Haley Salvian, and she was talking about her watchability and how, uh, how she ranks the Florida Panthers high. Um, and they're a fun team to watch. Watch L.A. Like if, if you're if you're listening in the East or watching in the East right now, and you don't get a chance to stay up and watch your Western Conference games. Do yourself a favor. I know it's a ten thirty Eastern starts, but you know what? Be a little sleepy tomorrow at work. You know, uh, get an extra cup of coffee and yet work tomorrow to keep your eyes propped open tonight to watch the Los Angeles Kings facing off against the Washington Capitals. L.A. is a flat out fun team to watch and that is going to be tonight uh and then tomorrow we get into a thursday night where it is non-stop games now i know everybody grouses about these seven o'clock starts all at the same time and tomorrow well we get six of them <laughs> there's no stagger uh and then there's a seven thirty carolina new york islanders and then we have three games at eight o'clock including 
the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets, the aforementioned Buffalo Sabres and the St. Louis Blues, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, who are pretty, pretty good. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll face off against the Colorado Avalanche, Calgary Flames, and the Dallas Stars. Vancouver faces off against Vegas. So that's tomorrow, but tonight, the three games. Enjoy those. Uh, thank you to everyone who took part in today's program. You just heard from Lance Lasowski. Uh, previous to Lance, we talked to Sam Rosen, play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers. Pete Weber, longtime play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators. They've won six games in a row, making some noise in the Western Conference, climbing the standings. Uh, Haley Salvian kicked off the program uh, from the Athletic uh, Sportsnet Hockey Commentator. Uh, Elliot returns tomorrow. He'll be back from his two-day trip. Uh, All the news from around the NHL. Uh, Thanks to our producer, David Siss. Thanks to our supervising producer, Matt Marchese. Lance Kennedy, board op, TV director, Frank Baraska. All the mistakes were made by me. All those people did all the good stuff. Got it? Got it. I'm back in 22 hours.